house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Exactly how much experience have you guys had with the outside? Quite a lot. We haven't. Drinks? Five Cokes, please. If there was a boy and a girl, and they were properly in love and they could prove it, then they would be given a few years together before they began their donations. Why do you do that thing, squeezing Tommy's shoulder? I'm allowed to touch Tommy, aren't I? It's the way you're touching him. Suppose for a second that there is a special arrangement for Helsham students if they're in love. Although Tommy really likes you as a friend, he just doesn't see you that way. We are modelled on trash. We're in love, and it's true love. It's verifiable. We didn't have to look into your souls. We had to see if you had souls at all. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that knows the majestic beauty of the jaguar shark. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my precious organ bank, Chris File. Hello, Chris. <laughs> Maybe not the first time I've been called an organ bank. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. How, I hope no, no, we are a family <laughs> podcast. How dare I? It's not that kind of show. Uh, good start, though. Good start to this uh, episode about this very tasteful and lovely little movie that you're going to take it right to there. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be chopping you took up. took it uh, there. I did. I'm sorry. I did. I don't regret it. Um, we're talking about beautiful people getting, uh, getting chopped up for their uh, little inner... Uh, inner organs today on in a very beautiful way and we are doing so chris with a returning guest who i am super psyched to have on the podcast this week we have um what was our was it the it was the family stone family stone baby yes. family stone yep. of course our very first christmas oh wow god that's was right that long ago that's crazy welcome back it's been too long welcome back to the co-host of uh, extra hot great and freelance uh entertainment journalist extraordinaire tara ariano hello welcome. welcome back thank you so much I'm thrilled to be here so happy to have you this was one of those episodes where i kept being like well we can't do never let me go yet because we have to have tara on <laughs> never let me go uh because i believe i think it was one of those where you're just like you can't do never let me go without me and i was just like got it like <laughs> Roger that. Um, but for good reason. I feel like you are you are exactly the perfect person to talk about this movie with. But why don't you uh we last time we sort of went through the the Oscar origin story and all that, but why don't you uh tell us and our wonderful listeners why this movie uh, jumped out at you that you wanted to talk about it with us? Well, let me start with a brag. I read the book. Do I need same, to say more? Same, same. This is what, like, I always talk about how I don't read books. I did read this book. I read this book before this uh, movie came out. I was very Me proud too. of myself. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I was going to try to reread it before this podcast, but when I went looking for it, I couldn't find it. So I guess I gave it away. I might have given it to you, Joe Reed. It's very possible. Um, 
yeah, I just uh, this movie is is like a beautiful little jewel, and I feel like it's really underseen and underappreciated. It's it's uh, it, I'm watching it again this week. It just feels like there's not a false moment in it. It's it stands on its own as a as a lovely achievement, but it's also such a great um, translation adaptation of the book. I'm interested to get into the the whys of this movie because this is one of those movies where I talk to people and people are still kind of puzzled as to why this wasn't an Oscar nominee because it felt mm-hmm. like it had all the ingredients and nothing went particularly terribly awry with it. Chris, do you remember sort of this moment of Never Let Me Go? Were you psyched to see this movie when it came Absolutely, out? Absolutely, because I adored the book. But, I mean, it didn't have the warmest festival reception, but I also feel like it's just one of those movies that probably part of the reason is because of its critical reception when the movie launched in September, like it's so easy for this movie to just outright die. Um, Also, interestingly, with Fox Searchlight this year, I think it could be the same exact fate for a very different movie in Eyes of Tammy Faye. But it's like, it's really hard to bring a movie like this back around if people don't have a strong response to it from the beginning, whereas if they'd held the movie a little bit longer. And then when you look at Fox Searchlight slate of this year, it's like, oh yeah, they ended up having other priorities. They ended up turning Black Swan into a hundred million dollar movie at the box yeah. office. You know, right. like it was it's so uh, I I think it's pretty clear to me why this movie, you know, is left it's, in the cold. It's interesting, and we'll get into talking about, obviously, the stars of this movie, uh, Carrie Mulligan, Kira Knightley, and Andrew Garfield, and what other projects of theirs also sort of had more awards attention than this one, and some of them in kind of surprising ways. And even also with Fox Searchlight, the fact that like they had a movie like Conviction that ended up doing better in the precursor season than Never Let Me Go did, which is just odd. Because we obviously feel, I feel like when we talked about that one, Chris, that one was more of just like a, a face plant of a movie, and yet that one at least had like a SAG nomination for, uh, for Hilary Swank and... And that movie is also a massive bummer. (laughs) Yes, that's the other thing. Yeah, because I think, yeah, this this movie, Never Let Me Go, really got tagged with the the bummer uh, label on it. And I mean, fairly. Sure, totally. But (laughs) And we'll get into it. But the other reason I think it might not have done super great at the Oscars might be that it's, you know, a soft sci-fi story like this, which is not really super showy. Yes. Like the technology isn't really even anything we ever see on on screen other than their, you know, their their tracking bracelets and stuff. But it's right. it's it's hard to like it's hard to know what what is it that we're watching. It just it looks like a beautiful stately, you know, BBC yes. miniseries that would be on masterpiece and then it's actually telling this incredibly like dark and and scary story it does well, feel almost like a bbc america miniseries that might have done really really well with mm-hmm. and probably could have attracted the same level of talent the way that television is today oh for that, sure i think if this were being made in 2020 it would be a miniseries rather than a movie yeah totally. well and it might even be like i may be a little bit i still think it's good i may be a little bit softer on the movie than you guys are but i think it might be better, even though it's a small book. I mean, like, it's a very uh, quick read and heavy mm-hmm. read. But I think if this 
material had a little bit more time to linger on the screen, it would kind of bring out what the thematic content of it is a little bit yeah. Yeah. more in a way. I think that enhances the like, you know, traditional science fiction of it. Whereas the movie doesn't really, like, I don't know if it, that's one of the things the movie does successfully. Um, well, and it is, the story is decently episodic, right? Where you have the yeah. part uh, yeah. where they're at Halsham. Like, even the part where, like, Miss Lucy, the Sally Hawkins character, is around for a little bit and then gone. And then they're at the cottages for a little while. And, like, uh, Donald Gleason and Andrea Riseborough are there and then they're gone. And it sort of moves sort of forward in these kind of chapter uh, uh, pacing. Uh, Explicitly chaptered. Because yeah. you get like a screen with a title and everything. Right, mm-hmm. right, exactly. And so, yeah, I think that would have lent itself well. But the other thing, Tara, that you were talking about, about the sort of soft sci-fi of it, it is very much like it's cautionary tale sci-fi without having that like really heavily um, – it's like it's an emotional movie, but it doesn't leave you at the end being like, we have to do something about this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it doesn't yeah. it doesn't stir the kind of big emotions that you would want from something that, like, you're going to ask people to vote for. And to remember from the beginning of September through a very sort of busy award season. Yeah. And it's and it's also because it's so much sadder, I think, you know, you could maybe say there are similar vibes in her only a couple of years after this, but it's yeah, not, right. it's not as sad. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And that it probably one... also relates to actual science that is going on in our everyday lives. Whereas this is, you know, a lot of hypothetical science. And of course, you know, maybe a little bit more current in the type of questions we would have about science from when the book was published versus when the movie came out. Yeah. I also have a lot of questions because we're also people who have read the book and all obviously keep saying it. It sounds book. great. Every time I know do. all three of us, like, oh, man. We, you know, <laughs> this, we're changing to a, we're just going to cover books we're that we very have all read podcast. on this podcast, you know, yeah. to see, um, <laughs> but I do, I do have a lot of questions for audience members who, haven't read the book. I mean, obviously, it's a very immensely popular and heralded book. But I just wonder, in the movie, if the themes of it register as well for an audience that hasn't read the book. Like, we're already coming into it knowing the kind of ideas this this story is trying to bring up, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sold on how well it does that as a movie. Well, and we'll get into it when we get on the other side of the plot description, but the adaptations that the movie makes to the story, which it doesn't change a ton, but it does let the viewer in on some stuff earlier than the book does in a way that um, I... I was, I'll be interested to talk about. Um, but the one other uh, thing I wanted to mention too about, because uh, uh, Tara mentioned her and sort of that got me thinking. And I think one of the things that her had in its pocket was it was from Spike Jones, who had already sort of been led into the fold a little bit. Spike Jones is also mm-hmm. similar to Mark Romanek got his start in music videos. He sort of got famous for making music videos as Mark Romero. Uh, he got his start as an intern at Sassy Magazine. So. <laughs> I, all right. Well, very good uh, opening to get a plug for also the Listen to Sassy podcast, <laughs> which if you are in any way into uh, teen culture of the late 80s, early 90s, which like 
that was like my cool older cousins were exactly in that uh, in that sassy vibe. So like it's a it's a fantastic podcast, you and Pam. Thank so, you so uh, much. I really enjoy that one. But yeah, um, but the the Spike Jones of it, he had already kind of been let into the Oscar fold with you know being John Malkovich and adaptation already. And I do feel like, and Mark Romanek's only made two feature films. We covered the other one. We did an episode with our friend Matt Jacobs on uh, one hour photo, but. He's never really felt like he's been sort of welcomed into the the fold properly as like a feature film guy. He still feels like a music video guy who is interloping, or it seems at least that's how uh, the Hollywood community seems to view him from the fact that they are just like, eh, it's, we're going to push this movie to the side a little bit. But I may be reading into things. Anyway, though, uh, Tara, I know how much you love... When we push our plot descriptions deep, deep, deep into the episode. <laughs> so I didn't want to, like, disappoint you by getting to the plot description too early. But this does feel like a natural place to uh, to get to it. So sorry you can't be a uh, a classic good fight 20 minutes into the episode <laughs> opening credits. <laughs> I wanna, I, if any of our listeners know when the longest that we've ever taken to get to a plot description, what episode it is and what the timestamp is, I would love to know that because <laughs> I think there is an episode or two where we pushed it to like 40 minutes. Well, there was one. I don't know if Joe told Chris, but I don't there was one recently yeah. where I was like, did you forget to do the plot description? <laughs> you literally made me go back and check because it was like, fuck, did we forget? I would like, absolutely it's... not put it past us, I though. Either. I think That's our listeners would all like immediately tell us that we didn't do it yeah 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 yeah. i think that's probably true but uh yeah tara i feel like we're uh we're rounding about that time to get uh, 60 seconds worth of plot out of you but first i okay. want to uh run down the specifics of this week's movie we are talking about uh never let me go the film directed by mark romanic written by alex garland and we'll definitely get into that a little bit based on the novel that all three of your Hosts read this week, have we mentioned, mm-hmm. by Kazugo, Kazuo Ishiguro, and I probably fricked that up a little bit, but that's fine. Starring Carrie Mulligan, Kira Knightley, Andrew Garfield, Charlotte Rampling, Sally Hawkins, Donald Gleason, Andrea Riseborough, Natalie Richard. It premiered at the Telluride Film Festival on September 3rd, 2010, and then opened wide a few days later on September 15th, 2010. Opened wide is a real, real particular way of saying that because I feel like wide was like 200 screens at most with this movie, but right. still. Uh, all that said, Tara. Are you ready for a 60-second plot description? Yes. All right. Your time will start now. We open on Carrie Mulligan watching Andrew Garfield going into surgery. They both look upset, as anyone would, when they're going into surgery. And then we flash way back to when their characters were kids at a school called Hailsham. And at first, it seems like your standard British boarding school with a bunch of little cute moppets. But then as time goes on, we realize things are not quite as they seem. And eventually, a new teacher comes to the school named Sally Hawkins, played by Sally Hawkins. Her name is Miss Lucy. And she is weirded out by things that are going on and eventually tells all of the kids what is actually happening. They have been raised basically to be... Uh, organ donors later in life, they're going to go through two or three donations and then they will complete. That is the uh, euphemism. Then we, the seconds. other thing that's happening is Kathy, Carrie Mulligan, is uh, in love with Tommy, Andrew Garfield, that, while they're kids, but their friend Ruth um, gets in the way of them 
kind of out of spite, it seems like. And, and then time. we see them grow up. That's time. <laughs> I forgot I was supposed to do this. <laughs> I didn't get the dog until today. Um, all right. So what happens after that is they grow up. They live in these, like, the, what are called the cottages where they're yes. sort, of, sort of supposed to learn how to function in society barely because they don't really have to do anything. They don't have to get a job. All they do have to do is keep themselves healthy until they have to start doing donations. Right. And they and don't can... know what, like, food is or beverages are, apparently, because they go to a restaurant and they don't even know what a Coca-Cola is. Or yeah. water is. Well, but you also get the sense that society also doesn't want them around. They don't want to have to kind of look at these people and 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 take them in as people. They want to keep them right. as separate as possible just so that they don't have to think about what's going on too much. And that's a really interesting thread of this movie. There's a lot of sort of very subtle stuff that builds this world in a really interesting way, because you don't ever really encounter much of the outside world. You do get that diner right. scene. You get when they visit Charlotte Rampling and Natalie Richard in their home. But that's when they go to it. hunt um, who Kira Knightley might have been cloned Her from possible. or modeled after. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah, I love the euphemism, the, euf- the use of euphemism in this movie, and the way that like talking about completion how completion is their euphemism for death and and mm-hmm. the donation and possible and even like the cottages which is just sort of this like almost halfway house for these clones and they never use the term clone and it all feels very much again it that to me feels like supplemental world building where it's like oh this is a society that wants to be very uh delicate about the way they talk about it because they don't want to get into the ugly reality of like we are raising organ banks you know we are cloning organ banks for us and i think that is pretty successful Mm -hmm. and certainly like you know comes from the novel but the thing i wanted to talk about was in the book you don't find out what's going on until about halfway through if i'm not mistaken and even I know a little it, bit later, maybe it takes a lot longer in to the get book. the full picture, at least that they are indeed clones. You know, I don't think until they do that visit to Charlotte Rampling in the book. You you definitely you know that something's up and it sort of reveals things, I think, sort of slowly. And in the movie, Romanic and Alex Garland make the decision to let the viewer in on it really early. Obviously, even just with the the scene with Carrie Mulligan and Andrew Garfield at the beginning, it definitely sets the audience on to sort of the right path. And then when Miss Lucy sort of spills the beans to the kids, that's still really early on in the movie. And she tells it to him flat. Mm-hmm. She's just like, you are being raised so that you will donate your organs and then at some point you will die young. And I liked that because it makes sure that the audience, especially a movie audience, who's trained to like be so focused on plot that it doesn't that it allows the audience to experience the movie without being like what's going on i gotta figure this out mm-hmm. yeah but the other thing that's effective even before we get to that point is that they establish like there's there's lore at the school yeah. <laughs> like there's there are sort of these these uh you know urban myths that have been going around like well we can't go outside the fence even if there's a ball that's rolled three feet away from where we were because right. there was a boy and he went outside the fence and he was found 
tied to a tree with his hands and feet cut off dead. Or, you know, there's a girl that starved outside the gates. And then there's the whole thing with the gallery, like creating the art and what is it for and stuff. So it, it almost seems like Miss Lucy's story is just another piece of lore, except we know it's not. But right. but that's but at the same time, like the the stories, we don't know because we don't know what the school is for. It's hard to tell if these are just regular like urban myths that go around a school right. where like you hear someone something from someone's cousin. <laughs> That's totally not true. Right. Or if there's like something more nefarious going on. The lore stuff that you point out is like one of the better things of the movie to me that like establish like the theme, one of the themes that in in the book of like indoctrination and isolation, where it's like, you know, because they are told this is who you are and this is your function and that's all you will make of your life, you know, the idea that they can't, you know, rebel against that or find, you know, uh, it's not that type of science fiction, right? Where it's like revealing a certain human nature of like the thing that we told, we're told we are, we are stuck in that forever. Um, Right. Right. But it also sets up the most important myth, which is the deferral myth. Yes. Yes. Only comes out when they're older, but yeah, they're, they're like babies. Like they just they don't learn anything about the world and yes. continue to be babies. Until, and because into of like that isolation too, they can believe these myths, you know, yes. because like their world is so small and like yep. the idea of these myths create in their minds a world bigger than, you know, the one they actually experience. Right. Like even when Miss Lucy is saying, like, what do people do when they grow up? They might, you know, work in a shop, they might move to America and they're like, What? <laughs> like they they've never thought about this at all. <laughs> right. Well, and then the movie and the book, I'm pretty sure, does the same thing, uh, jumps you from the part where they're children, they're school-age children, to then they're adults, and they've already gotten past the point where they know now the ins and outs of what the rest of their life is going to be. And Kathy Mm -hmm. has become a carer, and Ruth, by the time we see her again, has already begun her donations, and Tommy is about to begin his donations and um or no wait we see them at the cottages no he has to right yes um we do see them at the cottages in the interim too i i I think i uh, yeah i missed that but but anyway we get past the point where they for where whatever this process is is explained to them so we don't see them kind of dawn on like the the miss lucy part really is the part where they're sort of given that information for the first time but the thing about the stories and the the sort of the urban legends, as you put it, that I think is so effective is it part of it is stuff that they're just trying to tell. They're trying to teach themselves about a world that they don't know about. So they end up sort of spinning out these ideas that they hope to be true in these really sort of childlike ways. And you get really, really heartbreaking scenes with that part of the diner where Donald Gleason and Andrea Riseborough are asking them, like, you guys went to Halsham. There's this story that Halsham students are special. And if they are in love, they can get a deferral. And the looks on their faces when they sort of realize that these Halsham kids don't know what they're talking about is mm-hmm. devastating. And then you get it again yeah. later when Tommy has, like, fully spun this idea out in his head that the artwork is meant to show that they are worthy of a deferral, that they are 
that they are special, that that's why they did the artwork. And that's why he now has to, has to do artwork to present to them because he didn't do it when he was a kid. Cause he was kind of a un- unruly kid. And yeah. And there's no real reason for him to think that that is true. And Kathy kind of says that to him at one point where she's just like, we don't know that that's what the artwork was for. And he's like, no, that's what it was for. And it's a very childlike thing of like, this is a thing that could be true. So I have decided that this is a, this is a thing. This is possible. And yeah, totally. Is- the other thing about when the looks on Donald Gleason and Andrew Riseborough's faces when they realize the deferral thing is maybe not true is that the the scope of what they're dreaming could be possible is so small. It's not even yeah. like, if we can prove we're in love, we won't have to do donations. Right. Like, that's not even on the table for them at all. They don't, they can't, they don't have the concept. It's like three that or they four could, extra like, years. Excused. Like, that's it. Like, that's all. Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Ugh, yeah. It's heartbreaking. Well, and I think the really tragic thing about the artwork is that it is actually significant in what it, what, um, you know, their experience was or what Hailsham meant, and also that Hailsham students are special. This Mm -hmm. is something that the movie really, I think, lacks clarity on and is frustrating to me as a viewer because it does really, like, kind of complete the portrait for us in that the book, Hailsham is, like, the one institution that tries to at least raise these clones um, in a in some type of self-awareness educational way where the suggestion is all of the other clones, all of the other like basically hosts of organs aren't treated as well as they are at Hailsham. So Hailsham is actually special. Hailsham, you know, um, is basically the place that treats them with the most human ethics. Um, right. Well, and, and is you- eventually shut down because it's, you know, they can't prove that these children are indeed children. And, the and it's art- less efficient than just raising them on farms, as someone says, like exactly. later on, that, yeah. that which is so, so bleak. But I, again, you know, it's very intentional. This, this is the stuff that we don't see. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the artwork is the, was supposed to be the tool to say these are actual human beings, even yeah. though they have been, you know, produced in a lab somehow, which that we don't know the details of. But like, it's a little bit grayer in the movie where i think the book kind of puts that explicitly in a way that we as an audience need well the one thing that i did think was effective is we don't find out the part uh about how hailsham was the only school that was trying to sort of prove to the rest of the world that these are not just you know bags of organs these are actual you know humans with souls that was ultimate that's the devastating line that charlotte rampling says about we wanted to prove that you had souls at all and but i think the visual of that where because we don't see charlotte rampling for like a very long time after uh, they jump forward in time and all of a sudden we're seeing her again and when we do at the beginning she's that sort of she's the headmistress she's not exactly shown as being cruel or mean but she's strict and she's you know blunt and you don't you, you get the feeling that you know nobody really wants to cross in the quintessential her. charlotte rampling way that is british but also <laughs> somehow french right <laughs> and also somehow she i does. don't know granite yeah exactly but i think it's i think it's very intentional that when you see her again she's in a wheelchair she's older she's more frail she's the ultimate 
ineffectiveness of what she's been able to do, I think is reflected. And when you see her again, she's not this, again, like you said, like made of granite, this sort of, you know, stern authority figure. She is a little bit, a little bit apologetic. Her partner, uh, uh, I can't remember her name now, the character's name. Madame. Yes. Thank you. Um, is more sort of outwardly like sympathetic, but ultimately neither one of these women are able to help them by like saving their lives. They tried, they tried to prove to the rest of the world that these kids were human, but ultimately they failed. Halsham was shut down. And now all these pleas to them for deferrals are, you know, useless and it's well they don't say that they failed they say it didn't matter because people just the the decision was we can't go back right but i do think it's interesting that miss emily the charlotte rampling character is using a wheelchair at the end because it makes you wonder like did she have access to some kind of surgery that she turned down mm-hmm. oh you know I Absolutely. God, I, it's, it's wild that i never thought of that because of course of course that yeah well it's not even that she turned it down it's just that you questioned it at all if she right. would have turned it down or if maybe she did receive something because we don't we don't know we just see the visual of her in a wheelchair we don't know the yeah, circumstances know. of her health so it raises yeah. a lot of those questions yeah so just sort of backing up and I feel like the questions of why Never Let Me Go had Oscar buzz at the time. At the time, it felt very much like there was a lot of expectation on this from the beginning. I think primarily, well, first of all, Fox Searchlight is a very Oscar-savvy studio. So anything that comes out of there, you already have your eye on. But I think the fact that it was an Ishiguro novel, and Ishiguro had written The Remains of the Day, which was a Best Picture nominee in 1993, got a bunch of nominations, was a Merchant Ivory production with Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins. And Never Let Me Go was really well received. It was on these best, you know, best novels list, not only of that particular year, it was the mid 2000s when it was released, but also like at the end of that decade, there were a bunch of lists that it showed up on. So it was a very, very well regarded and highly acclaimed novel. So there was a lot of uh, light on this. And I do, that does make me kind of curious as to why it ended up with Mark Romanek, who had only done one feature film previous to this, and it was, uh, what, eight years before this. So do we, do we feel like maybe Romanek was the right guy for this, or maybe they could have had a director who was a little bit more suited to this and could have pushed it? to a more successful place. I mean, place. It, there's things that the movie does well um, from, like, uh, Romantic's lens of, like, the, visually it's really good. Visually, I think it's kind of keyed into the emotion really well. But yeah. I think where this movie struggles is kind of developing the grander themes of it because, like, sure, it's about cloning and it's about, you know ethics in science which is a a, you know really tricky thing for a a viewer today that i was like wait is this anti-science i'm i'm my guard is up (laughs) maybe through our past uh two years of trauma um but i don't think the kind of like grander ideas that you know ishiguro is not 
explicit about, but like, you know, subtle themes that he's trying to make you think about of things like indoctrination, education, uh, you know, general mortality, what impact do we leave on each other type of uh, science fiction questions that I just, I think that the movie is maybe a little bit too literal and it's maybe just that film is a very literal medium, but I don't know if I think this movie is particularly well-directed. Yeah, I mean, his music videos, we should, uh, I I think we probably got into this a little bit when we did One Hour Photo, but like he was best known for things like the Michael and Janet Jackson video for Scream or Nine Inch Nails' Closer, uh, Fiona Apple's Criminal, Madonna's Bedtime Story, Johnny Cash's Hurt, which I think some of those are very kind of, you see this sort of, cold futurism in the Michael and Janet video. And obviously bedtime story is very, you know, dreamlike and weird, but then you get stuff like the Fiona Apple video or even the nine inch nails video for closer. And it's like, he is, he does manage to get to a kind of like, he knows his way around an image, a really sort of like stark image that can be very unsettling. And so much of the story of never let me go can be very unsettling. But I think a director who maybe was able to key into a little bit more of the emotionality, because it doesn't come easy. The emotionality in this movie comes in really sort of like quiet glances. The whole thing about the fact that these characters accept their fates with such such sort of, it's not even stoicism. It's just sort of like it's innocence. It's the fact that like they don't yeah. even know enough to try and rebel. So it's not like, this is not a story about rebellion ultimately, but it's just about, how crushingly sad it is that these characters uh, just sort of move through to their completion. And if the system creates you as something, you are destined to be stuck as that thing because you can't envision yourself as anything else. Right. But I think it then it, it leans a lot on the actors to bring that right. kind of emotionality out of it. And fortunately, I think they're all really good. I think this cast from top to bottom is really, really successful, starting with Carrie Mulligan, who I had forgotten that this was just the year after in education. And she had been in some other things. She had been in Pride and Prejudice with Kira Knightley. But I think um, when they filmed this movie, like an education had only premiered at Sundance. I don't think like audiences had really gotten a chance to see an education. Right. I don't think it was released by the time they filmed this movie. So Shh. that makes it even more interesting, I think. She was in the theater when I saw this for the first time. She, I saw this oh. at the now uh, gone and uh, and well remembered landmark Sunshine on Houston Street, and I saw this with a couple friends of mine. And all of a sudden, the movie's about to start, and she just walks up to the front of the the, the theater because Landmark uh, Sunshine would do the thing where like the usher would like introduce the movie and just be like, "Thank you for coming. This is a." you know, this is the movie, please don't talk, you know, and then leave. And then this one, it was just like, oh yeah, and we have a guest here and it's Carrie Mulligan. And she was just like, hi, thank you for coming to see the movie. And this wasn't like a premiere. This was just like, this was probably the first week that it was open, but it wasn't even like opening day. And she was just like, thank you for coming to see the movie. I hope you like it. And, and that's it. And I was just like, that's wild. That's sort of <laughs> kind of crazy. Um, but like not even there for a Q&A after? No, no, not at all. Just all right. hi. Literally, it was just like she was she was in the neighborhood and decided to shop by, stop by. I've never seen anything like that before. I mean, life. she was living in New York these 
during this time. This is also the year of uh, Wall Street Money Never Sleeps. I am definitely the first person to invoke the name of that movie in the past five years. <laughs> well, um, another but movie. She was living with Shia at that time. Oh, I don't. I didn't remember that part. Interesting. Oh yeah, they they dated for a while. They I did almost not, got engaged. I thought I did not remember that at all. Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, another movie that probably got more precursor awards attention that an educate than uh, Never Let Me Go I did. Mean. That got a Golden Globe nomination. Um, Crazy, but I think <laughs> right. I think she's fantastic in this movie, though. I think she's yeah, the she's performance yeah. of the movie. Yeah, she she has the job of being the most like wise and knowing of all of them. I mean, mm. the, the love triangle between her and Andrew Garfield and, and Ruth, Kathy, Tommy and uh, uh, Ruth, Kira Knightley <laughs> mixing everything up. <laughs> she, it, you know, it's a, it's a very simple kind of setup. Mm-hmm. Like at, on the surface, you know, Ruth sees that Kathy likes Tommy and Tommy likes her too. And so she just inserts herself c- because she's jealous. But then we find out, the real reason is that she um, of the three of them is the only one apparently who's heard the deferral myth and is trying to like lock him down basically. Mm-hmm. But Kathy has more knowledge of the world because she becomes a carer. And so she's, she spends more time with, with more people as they're going through their donation process. And so just by the time we see her again, post cottages, like you can just tell the weight of it that she's, yeah. she's holding on her delicate, beautiful little bang face. <laughs> well, and she's so she's so effective in that role that you find yourself sort of admiring what a good how well suited she is to the role of a carer, right? Where that yeah. she's always been in that position with even like with Ruth and Tommy when they were younger, the fact that Ruth would be like really kind of nasty to her and sort of rubbing it in that she was with Tommy knowing that Kathy had these feelings for him and she didn't really she never lashed back. I think she even had those carer instincts then. And then you almost sort of take a step back and just be like, wow, like I'm, she's really, really good at being a carer. And then you're like, wait a second. It's insane that anybody would have to do this anyway. And you sort of have to remind yeah. yourself that this is such a horrible system. But she, um, it's, it's a really great performance. I, I went back, I was sort of looking up her filmography uh, just to sort of get a sense of where she was in her career at the time, obviously right after an education. I don't think I ever realized that she ju- she does not make very many movies. So every movie she makes, even if they're not like great movies, they end up being like impactful. Like Wall Street Money Never Sleeps, she's sort of like... That you can almost like brush. She's that just aside. the girlfriend in that movie, but she's the best performance in the well, movie. She's also Michael Douglas's daughter, so she has the incredibly unfortunate character name of Winnie Gecko, which like <laughs> Christ Almighty, why would you do that to somebody? Uh, uh, but like 2011, she's in two really kind of divisive movies. She's in Drive and Shame, but those are both like we remember both of those movies now, and they're both with really. Uh, interesting directors in Nicholas Winding Refn and then Steve McQueen, obviously. Then she does Great Gatsby with Baz Luhrmann, Inside Lewin Davis with Joel and Ethan Cohen, Far From the Madden Crowd with Thomas Vinterberg, which is really underrated, even if it's not like, even at like its greatest level, you're not going to be like telling all your friends back, you know, when you go home for the holidays about like, got to see Far From the Madden Crowd, but it's really good. <laughs> I mean, it's a gorgeous movie. Uh, Suffragette, which we covered on this podcast, which is a bomb. Um, 
But like Mudbound with Dee Reese, I think she's really good. I loved her in Wildlife, the Paul Dano directed movie. And then Promising Young Woman last year, which almost felt like a comeback, even though she hadn't really gone anywhere. But it was her first nomination since uh, since an education. And she like that was a really like powerful sort of just like Carrie Mulligan motherfuckers kind of a performance. And it's a really well put together career for somebody who is still really like relatively, really young in the, in the industry. I don't know. I'm very impressed by it. And does take these breaks because she's also a mom. She spends time, time, you know, raising her kids too. So she has a very intentional career. And she does some theater too. She does a bunch of theater in London and on Broadway. So, uh, one of those like low key putting together a really great career is Carrie Mulligan. Like maybe, you know, we'll start seeing it. She's in an upcoming movie. Um, Directed by Maria Schrader, who did that Netflix series Unorthodox. And um, I'm Your Man this year, the German Oscar submission. Yes. Um, and it's a it's the movie about the two New York Times reporters who uh, broke the Harvey Weinstein sexual misconduct story, which I'm not sure how much I'm psyched about seeing that sort of dramatized into a movie, or like I'm I'm yeah. a little bit trepidatious it's her and zoe kazan playing uh megan twoey and jody Cantor. but i don't know i'm 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 willing to 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 hear it out <laughs> i don't know it does feel She's like still i think a very exciting actress like one of the things that makes her great for uh Kathy H in this movie and makes her also amazing in something like wildlife as she does very well with these characters who maybe don't communicate their whole circumstance, but can really convey, you know, a certain level of experience that she's able to carry, you know, in her physical presence, you know, that speaks a lot of volumes when we watch her on screen. Um, And I, I, I think that's why she's kind of perfectly cast for this movie because it is this quietly uh, difficult character because it could just be so boring, but because she can communicate a lot of things non-verbally, it fills in a lot of gaps that I think, you know, less interesting performers would have maybe sunk the movie for. Yeah, I agree. She, she does a lot with stillness. Yeah. Tara, do you have a particular favorite Carrie Mulligan performance outside of this uh this movie uh i really liked an education i thought she was great in that but but this is probably my favorite yeah yeah she's i mean that's one of the great sort of like breakthrough uh first nominations uh just sort of coming out of nowhere um justice for her shame performance <laughs> i loved her in that movie i thought she was great um kira knightley has I would say the most difficult role in this movie because that's clearly the least likable character of mm-hmm. the main three. She definitely she's there. She has moments where she's cruel, but she also she she's then, the best line in the movie. However, oh, we are modeled on trash. I use we constantly. are modeled on trash. Um, and the, the like the sort of the pain in that line and sort of the frustration about like because she got her hopes up that she had found they found her possible and she wanted to believe that she was cloned after a woman who was sort of the successful professional lady and not even like this huge ambition like I am I am cloned from someone who is like 
wealthier, has made so much of themselves. It's just like an average businesswoman. Yeah, like, someone who works in a travel agency. That's the ceiling on, you know, how they yeah. vision themselves. Um, I think she's quite good in this movie. She kind of got some of the, I think in general, the performances were reviewed very well, but I think when I saw some of the more negative performance reviews, she kind of bore the brunt of that. I think critics have had a hard time coming around on her, even though by this point she had already done Pride and Prejudice and gotten an Oscar nomination, and people were pretty on board with that. And she had done movies like Atonement and The Duchess, both of which got Oscar nominations, but not for her. But I think at the beginning of her career with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and even like, and the fact that she was in the first Pirates of the Caribbean and Love Actually and Bend It Like Beckham all at once, there was this sense of like, why are you pushing Kira Knightley on the culture a little bit? And I think there was a lot of pushback. And I think it's taken her a long time to get to a point where people respect what she's doing. And I think it's a really good performance in Never Let Me Go. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Andrew Garfield was probably at the most interesting career point making this movie uh, and when it came out because he had only really been in some like British TV stuff. He was in that movie Boy A, uh, which he won a BBC or, or uh, um, some sort of BAFTA TV award for that. Like the Rising Star Award, maybe? Something like, or I think it was just for, for their... for British you know, Independent, maybe? Television work, yeah. And then he was in... Um, a, trilogy of tv sort of like detective stories called red riding that was like this like you know crime procedural stuff and he was in imaginarium of dr parnassus which was like got a lot of attention but not at all for him you know that was there was other other fish to fry in that movie but then this is the same year never let me go is the same year as the social network the social network comes out like the month after this and i think even as never let me go was being released he had been announced as the new spider-man like he had already been cast in that movie so he was like a rising star by the time you got to this movie and obviously social network overshadows all of that he almost gets oscar nominated comes very very close i would say and this movie was definitely sort of like the afterthought for him in this year but i also think he's really good you know what i mean like i think he's he has to have the sort of like the biggest emotional sort of like catharsis scene when he gets out of the car and he sort of screams into the void. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's less, I think it is less effective than the more quiet stuff from Carrie Mulligan, but he has some of these scenes where you just sort of get that, see the look on his face and see the sort of like, this sort of tragic childness of of his character and it's really heartbreaking yeah well, well especially the scream because it 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 um you know recalls the one where he's yes. not picked for a game and just screams in the middle of the field for a while even when they reconnect with uh charlotte rampling's character like that's the thing she remembers about him she's just like mm-hmm. uh subject to such terrible rages and it's just like oh man like <laughs> that's the thing you remember about me like oh. yeah that's not what you want a teacher to say <laughs> no no <laughs> it's not the a pleasure to have in class that uh <laughs> That all us gay boys got when we were in school. 
<laughs> what struck me on this uh, rewatch about uh, his performance is that it's working really well in tandem with what Carrie Mulligan is doing because, like, he has that, you know, kind of enduring boyishness of it that makes that, like, rageful scream make so much sense, especially after, you know, he visits a teacher who mentions it. Um, and, like, she, after her time as a carer, is, like, you see her, you know, growing in, like, age and weariness. So it's, like, they're complementing kind of, I guess, the paradox of each other's, like, existence in terms of the performance. Like, that maybe yeah. sounds a little bit uh, pretentious of me. But, like, uh, I don't know. They bring out uh, the, like, I think both of these performances are bringing out the tragedy of each other's character through contrast. Yeah. But I think he's effective with Knightley as well, because you can see how someone of his temperament would just be bulldozed by her. Like we are boyfriend, girlfriend now, even though he doesn't really like her very much. He has made zero decisions in that relationship throughout the entire course of it. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I also want to bring up, of course, my favorite scene in the movie. We talked about it a little bit, that diner scene. Just because mm-hmm. Donald Gleason and Andrea Riseborough were in so little of this movie. Um, and uh, one of the great things about if this were a, a miniseries is they probably would have gotten like a whole episode where they were like really featured. Um, the sweater plus sort of shaggy long hair plus co- <laughs> kind eyes that Donald Gleason is sporting in this. I said, yep. I was talking about something else on Twitter the other day, and I was remembering the thing where, when I, when I was younger, you would do the, like, gay or just nice to me thing, and I feel like his character in this movie would have been my ultimate, like, gay or just nice to me kryptonite, where it's just like, he would say one really kind thing to me, and he would be about, like, two or three years older than me, and I would just be like, maybe gay because he's nice boys aren't nice like he's so what so you're saying is you were staring into your tv saying give me your organs daddy <laughs> okay you took it there this time i did not do that you did that one that's on you um but you're not about wrong. that scene though we, we i think chris was saying earlier that they they don't know what food is they don't know what coke is right. i don't think it's that i think it's that they're they've never been in a position to make choices before yeah that's true, and that's that, what's hanging them up. I mean, we we see the the scene earlier when they like are actually play acting. Like, here's this is your <laughs> you're workshopping what you do when you go into a cafe, and apparently it didn't stick because none of them remembered tea with milk and sugar. Right. But yeah, that's that that's what strikes me in that scene. And they each sort of followed suit. He ordered what was like sausage and eggs, and so they all had to order sausage and eggs. And yeah. Yeah, it's a very sweet scene, and it's a really, I think one of the great successes of this movie is it has these very quiet scenes that end up telling you a lot about the characters and also about, like, the, the world they inhabit, and yeah, it's really sweet. But, like, God, I would watch a whole side movie about Rodney and Chrissy and, like, what was going on with their lives. Because, like, they clearly were, again, so devastated by finding out that they couldn't get this deferral. Like, they had their own little love story on their own and and uh yeah I think andrea Riseboro giving great hat acting <laughs> she's got like a beret or something andrea <laughs> Riseboro, who is an actress who i adore and always like i will probably watch a lot of junk just because she's in it and she's always like great and fascinating has never played 
more normal and she's a clone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. (laughs) That's a really good point. Her career is fascinating because for the longest time, I finally sort of gotten on it. But like, it wasn't exactly face blindness, but it was like, I know her. Why do I know her from something? And I could This era of Andrea Riseborough, though, yeah, absolutely face blindness, because like even watching this, loving her for, you know, a decade on, I'm like, that is Andrea Riseborough. She does like kind of not I mean, by design for that character, like she doesn't necessarily register as much in this movie. This was at least her. There's also a little kid at Hailsham that looks like she could be little Andrea Riseborough to the point where I was like, oh, right. They didn't go. <laughs> they They're didn't just go to Hailsham. That else. wasn't intentional. Yeah. Was W.E. even this year? No, that yet? was the year after this. Oh, boy. This one, she had already made two movies, actually, uh, funnily enough, with Sally Hawkins. This was her third. She was in Happy Go Lucky. Oh, yeah. She was in Maiden Dagenham. And then she was like, she was. Um, She's Tom Cruise's partner in Oblivion, right? I say this as if we've all naturally seen Oblivion. Yes, um, yes. But she um, might... I forget if she is a robot. No, she's not a robot. No. She's like... She gets to scream in Oblivion. <laughs> right. She's like the one who screams. Who but like, like she's stays in Birdman. She's in Nocturnal Animals. She's in Battle of the Sexes, which we talked about a few weeks ago. And all of those She and ones... Donald Gleeson each in very good Black Mirror episodes, too. Oh, which one is she in? I know I know the one that he's in, because he's in such a heartbreaking one. Uh, She's in the Atwell. one that's set in Iceland, where there's a, a crime happens, and they figure it out with, like, uh, surveillance. Oh, okay. I ha- still I still haven't seen all of the Black Mirrors. I need to go and, like, pick up all the ones that I sort of skipped past. Um, you value your uh, levels of anxiety too much to finish <laughs> Black Mirror. But I think it wasn't until she was in Death of Stalin, which I think she's flat out hysterically funny she's really funny she's Um, good she's the best thing about that movie that's the that was the one that really like it it, it locked me in i was like all right i remember because i had seen her in a play before i'd seen her in any kind of movie she was in a play called the pride with hugh dancy and now i can't remember the other guy but it was like the two guys were in like a sort of a fraught gay thing and then she was the best friend of one of the guys oh it was ben was i forgot ben was take me to jail i know Joe, don't tell him I go did to the that. doctor after we finish don't <laughs> tell him um and she played i believe ben was friend and i thought she had such a like i said afterwards i was like she's got such a kate winslet vibe and i'm not sure exactly if that that that's the career that she's sort of built into but she's really really good she showed up in a movie called Possessor last year, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, where she's this like assassin who inhabits other people's bodies. She rules in that movie. She's I have so some issues good. with that movie, but she fucking rules. Yeah. So love her. She's also got like two scenes in Birdman. Everybody forgets that she's in Birdman. <laughs> right. Yeah. She also shows up. I think this movie will be on Amazon Prime at this point in the like deeply fine electrical life of louis wayne but she enters the movie brandishing a butcher knife and just like bellowing and i was like yes thank god andrea riseborough is here Um, yeah she's one of those actors that their first oscar nomination is going to be so boring but like you'll be happy that they're an oscar nominee now right it'll be like helena bonham carter's for the king's speech or something like that which was (laughs) even though helena bonham carter had already had you know her oscar nomination but yes it'll be like that it'll be like that um the 
moving on to sort of the the failure of this movie, I think it was one of those things where it wasn't really any one like disastrous thing. It just like nobody really saw it, and the reviews were really kind of like tepid. They weren't like even bad. They were just sort of like mixed enough to a degree that like nobody really had any strong reason to go see it and it was a huge bummer there was a whole article in the la times about like why did never let me go fail at the box office which is so funny to me because it's like it's kind of a middle mid-level indie drama it's like it's from fox searchlight i'm i I, made almost 10 million dollars right like if this movie made almost 10 million dollars today it only made 2.4 million domestically because a lot of that a lot of that article was like even winter's bone did better and it it mentioned winter's bone like three different times and winter's bone was like famously like the uh, the best picture nominee that was so that made so little money that the oscars changed their rules the next year so that it wouldn't just be a top 10 because they were so embarrassed by having a movie as small as winter's bone which is i think a pretty stupid way of going about things because right as this particular well this particular la times article was like why couldn't never let me go have caught on like winter's bone did and it's like yeah some movies are small and have a small scale success that is definitely a success like that movie you know, got people to see it that you wouldn't have thought that uh, that people would see it. But anyway, it's also programmed differently. Like Winter's Bone would have been a counter programming being released in the summer and like allowed people to discover it. Whereas, you know, Never Let Me Go launches right after the festival season and it didn't have a warm festival response too so it's like yeah it's competing for airway with all of these other movies that are still premiering as the festival season goes on and like nobody's really stumping for this movie i also kind of feel like launching this movie at telluride which has you know a very kind of yeah i mean like it's uh, you know considered somewhat of an oscar breeding ground or quite at this point you know a decade after this movie very much an oscar breeding ground but like i don't know if the telluride audience is the audience to launch this movie for the telluride audience were the ones getting the organs that these uh, clones were (laughs) having to give up (laughs) i mean like it's a lot of oscar voters and billionaires and like yeah they're like we can't support this movie it's putting our shit on blast exactly we're so close illegal organ farm (laughs) We're so close but to having also this just like succeed. the tone of it. And I, I went back because the Telluride website has all of their old schedules, which is like fabulous to me. Um, but like this would have premiered the first night of Telluride. Like it was clearly the big ticket movie on the first night. And like that just saying seems like a mistake to me. Well, and then everything else that plays after it is going to like overwhelm it in terms of, you know, chatter and buzz and things like that. Um, This also, I, the tidbit about how Fox searchlight replaced never let me go with black Swan in the Venice lineup is to me. So you never hear about shit Uh like that, but like, that's so it's incredibly telling. First of all, it's like somebody at Fox searchlight was like, we are switching horses in midstream. Like clearly, they had seen something and obviously it worked out like black swan made so much money for being the yeah. weirdo little movie that it is and got so many oscar nominations and obviously one for natalie portman um but that was another one where i looked up the article it was a deadline article or something like that about um never let me go that that contained the information about never let me go getting pulled from venice but the thrust of the article was like 
why is nobody why does nobody care about the Venice Film Festival anymore? Like Venice the Venice Film Festival is dead pretty much. And it's so funny to read back because like the movie press does this all the time where like uh-huh. the the festival that's out of fashion is like it's over. Like this happened to Toronto a few years ago. But like it's happening to Toronto again. Right. And you read this article and it it basically was just like, Cannes is the only festival that matters. Venice is done. Nobody wants to send their reporters uh, internationally. And like this was before they realized that like reporters were just going to, you know, foot their own bill to go and whatever and and recover uh, and cover this. But like at that point, Telluride wasn't even a thing. They were like they would they that article wrote about Telluride as if it was this like negligible thing. And now Telluride has become a much more important festival. And it's Mm -hmm. just it's a nice way to remember that, like, the way we talk about what's in like what's the dominant sort of like trend in these Oscar uh, structures is not, you know, you'll look back in 10 years and just be like, oh, wow, we really did think that at the time. So I thought that was kind of funny. But not only Black Swan, like Fox Searchlight also had 127 hours, which people forget, like, got a Best Picture nomination, like, in addition to a Best Actor nomination. And again, I mentioned Conviction, like, managed to snag that SAG nomination Mm -hmm. for for Hillary Swank. So, like, Searchlight really, really, really backburnered this movie and pretty much, like, lopped it off. I mean, September, especially, like, mid-September, right after the festivals is such like a fertile ground for what we do here a because it's very easy for movies that are released in that month to get overshadowed and outright forgotten but it also just seems like it's where a lot of indie distributors or prestige distributors like searchlight put their lowest priority awards prospects right yeah, it's because it's going to allow it. To, it it'll. It, it, it's, it's the sacrificial lamb. It's eating its own tail. Yeah. Of you know. One you need thing to put it out the in other. the fall, but you need to like save the better slots in the fall for the movies that you think are going to have a better shot at it. So that's where it goes. Um, I want to talk about Alex Garland a little bit because he does the screenplay adaptation for this. He hadn't directed anything at this point, but he had done the screenplays for 28 Days Later and Sunshine, both of those Danny Boyle movies. And they're like my two favorite Danny Boyle movies. They're super curious to have seen what the version of this movie that's a Danny Boyle movie would have been like. I kind of thought the same mm. thing. I thought that would have I mean, been a really probably interesting... be better, but. Well, and I think it also would have been, I mean, I don't know, it's tough. Danny Boyle's one of those filmmakers who it's tough to really, like, try and grasp, like, what's his thing? What's his, like, right? you know, what's his angle? Because he makes a lot of different types of movies. But, like, the Boyle-Garland movies, like, 28 Days Later is a movie about, like, what if zombies were fast? And yet has one of the most emotional, like, in a horror movie, the part where Brendan Gleeson... Uh, looks up. I knew you're gonna say and that. And the blood gets in his eye. And the second you it, that happens, you know what the next three things to happen in the movie are. Like what's gonna happen to him, what they're gonna have to do to him, and what it's gonna do to his daughter. And it's so devastating. And like, yeah, to put that in the in the midst of this zombie movie is, I think it's you know I think it's pretty laudable. And then Sunshine, which is like kind of messy, but like. I really love it. And both of those movies really benefit from having a great score. But 
I'm glad you bring up that 28 days later scene because like there's a lot going on in very short time in that moment that like we as the audience have to like understand but also like Danny Boyle sells it incredibly well which is why I think I would like to see this movie from Danny Boyle but I would also rather see Danny Boyle making something like this than 127 hours which I hated (laughs) yeah not one of my favorites of his for sure I never saw it yeah I think you're fine I mean it's one of those things like so I shouldn't go like wedging myself down a crevasse in the middle (laughs) of the American (laughs) desert like I was just about to, and then I heard about that movie and decided not to. That movie had an interesting festival run, including at the same Telluride as Never Let Me Go, where it was like getting reports of people fainting during the scene where he finally chops his arm off. Right. Yeah. Right. Because that was the what that was based on a true story, right? That was a yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. It's weird that like, and I I. Like that, I thought that movie was pretty impressive when I saw it. Although I have not had a desire to watch it again, and a lot of that is that now it's like, well, I don't want to watch any James Franco things anymore. So. It just feels like the type of movie that is purely just its logline, and you see it, and you're like, well, that's what I was told I was gonna <laughs> yeah. get. I guess that's you know uh, nothing unsurprising about that movie. Yeah, yeah. Tara, do you have any Alex Garland sort of uh, thoughts? I don't know if you have any strong opinions on like Ex Machina or Annihilation or anything like that. I also love 28 Days Later. That's probably one of my favorite, uh, I won't say elevated horror movies, one of my favorite zombie movies. I've seen it many times. And I thought because of the Danny Boyle connection, I just looked it up and I assumed he had also adapted his novel for the beach, but he he didn't. No. He's just credited for novel. Right. It's just, right. He had just done the novel for that. That, uh, The beach is a fascinating failure of a movie. Like that's one of those. Yeah. It's uh-huh. and the story behind it is really fascinating. The fact that like Danny Boyle essentially just like burned his relationship with Ewan McGregor to cast Leonardo yep. DiCaprio in it, and where that movie mm-hmm. sits in DiCaprio's sort of fame story is really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And it was seen as such a failure, but I think it's such a it's such a risk for you know where DiCaprio was at the time, and it's like it's not great, but like I will I'll watch that movie again. It's also the first time I saw Tilda Swinton in anything, so yeah, that was cool. The Andrea Riseborough of her day. Um, <laughs> I'll say about Alex Garland. I do. I think Annihilation was great. I haven't seen it since I watched it the first time when we we just bought a new TV and we're like, what can we oh, test this with? Annihilation, that. and it was perfect. That's that. great. Yeah. Uh, Ex Machina, I think, is good too. I I sure hated Devs though. Oh, I never watched Devs. I think I probably you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's like what if made for love, but more ponderous and boring. Oh god, oh, yeah, no, no thing. That's so His much next of like movie, which will have uh, Jesse Buckley. Hopefully, will convince Joe that Jesse Buckley is great. Uh, it's I'm just a... called Men. I can't imagine <laughs> how this is going to go down for people on them. the internet. <laughs> heard of them this did make me think of humans <laughs> speaking of heard of them uh yeah Tara, uh in a lot of ways um yep yeah i'm the lone holdout on jesse buckley i know i'm like i'm on the i'm on the low really side of it. i for whatever reason i think i was oversold on wild rose and then when i saw wild oh. rose i was like this is fine like this is like i don't know i was a little not underwhelmed, but just like merely whelmed. And then I actively thought she was bad in the season of Fargo that she was in, which I had to watch to write about, which otherwise I get where like 
nobody else saw that season of Fargo and like so much the better for anybody Mm -hmm. because it was bad. And she was, I thought, particularly she was doing she was the designated like you're going to be a real like hard accented Minnesotan. And it was uh, and she was playing this like or as we should say, a yeah. And she was doing that (laughs) while also being this like murderous nurse. And I was like, I'm not into any of this. So I'm still waiting for me and Jesse Buckley. I'm sure it'll happen. Maybe it'll be The Lost Daughter whenever you get to see it. Oh, I am looking forward to The Lost Daughter. Listen, Maggie Gyllenhaal does anything, and I am uh, I am there for that. And I know, Tara, you are with me on uh, on Maggie Gyllenhaal. I love her. You are the you are the only other person who loved. Um, oh, what was that TV miniseries? Now that I can't remember the title of. As much as oh I did. the the honorable the woman. honorable woman was so good. Okay, I need to watch the honorable woman before this movie, even though you know Maggie's not in her movie. But no, but it's, I still it's really her. good. Yeah, lots of great actresses for you. Yes, and she but begins every right. episode with this like very breathy, accented voiceover, uh, which is just fantastic. It's like speaking ASMR. of breathy uh, voiceovers, we mentioned Annihilation several times already without saying annihilation annihilation yeah (laughs) (laughs) um real quick about the the score for this movie this was rachel portman did the score for this one and really really Mm -hmm. beautiful this is one of those movies though where people think that the music for the score from the trailer is the score for this movie and the score from the trailer is from the door on the floor which chris you and i covered many many Mm -hmm. moons ago on this podcast i think one of our first movies that we did for this but still you will see that piece of music from the door on the floor on youtube as like the never let me go music and i'm just like no it's not (laughs) um i'll get irrationally angry about that um but the trailer for never let me go does make me cry every time because of its use of that movie it's just really of that music it's uh, very very beautiful so yeah we're really selling it if you want to feel very bad (laughs) 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 listen i know there's a good portion of our audience that like will go for that so um, if you want to feel futile about our own humanity Watch Never Let Me Go. Uh, if you read Bad Art Friend and thought, but what if it was even worse? <laughs> Never Let Me Go. This is Bad Art Friend the movie. Oh, God. I didn't even make that connection at all. But wow. Yeah. Wow. Listen, Carrie Mulligan is Bad Art Friend. Here's the thing, though. If Carrie <laughs> Mulligan posted in a Facebook group about what she was doing, I would be. I would give her all of the sympathy that she was asking for because she deserves it. And listen, if they make a movie of bad art friend and I pray they do, it has to be Reese Witherspoon. Oh, 100% true. Oh, that's totally it. Fantastic. Oh my God. Speaking of Reese Witherspoon and the morning show, which you didn't specifically, but I'm going to make that connection. I was walking to, um, I was walking up Broadway to go see the new Halloween movie the other night and I passed the beacon theater. And so, you know, the beacon has the big, uh, marquee out in front that sort of shows you all the things for like the next nine months that they're, that they're going to (laughs) have. And one of them Mm -hmm. is, um, Katie Couric is giving a speaking tour and it's like the, the the it's like I went there. Is that the title of her book? Because that's the title of going the, there. The, going yes, there. Yes, going there. So that's the title of her speaking engagement too. And I literally because the beacon will cycle through, literally like all the way through like its next almost year's worth of programming. And I stood there and waited for it 
forever to hopefully for Kate, the Katie Kirk one to come back again so we could take a photo of it. And finally I gave up because I waited too long and the movie was going to start. Um, but I was like, I need to take a photo of this so that when the morning show puts Alex Levy on a speaking tour and people are like, that would never happen in real life. I would have photo evidence that it would because at least like, I feel like Katie Kirk is the living example of like, you like Alex Levy, like that stretches credulity, and you're like, nope, because Katie Kirk. Nope. Did it. So I know. Yeah. Even worse somehow. Yeah. Oh, the Beacon, our old hood. I know. We saw so many movies around there. Oh, I know. I know. I walked. I walked all the way up to the uh, 84th Street Cinema and saw a very bad Halloween movie. But you know what? It was. Uh, it was worth it. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride will pay for their crimes. <laughs> yes. It Evil was, dies tonight and it is David Gordon. It's the worst <laughs> the worst script for a movie I've I've seen in a very long time. Halloween Kill or Halloween. Yes, Halloween Kills. It's bad. Since the last Halloween movie? No, I I didn't think the last one was that bad. This one is like Yo, you know how I just Way worse. It. I do. Um wanted This is the one that's on Peacock, right? Yes. My, my Dave's nephew is visiting and he's a big John Carpenter guy. So maybe we'll make him watch this Do movie. it. Do it. You are one of the 15 subscribers of ad-free Peacock. I keep seeing all of this stuff about the box office success uh, transcending even though it's on streaming. And I'm like, three people no one has, pay for no, Peacock. Yes, no one has Peacock. That's why. That Actually, why. It, it, it jumped out ahead this year because of the Olympics. But a lot of people um, have probably canceled it since then. Well, yes. And I, somebody I also saw tweeted was just like, people who have Peacock. Peacock don't even know that they have Peacock, and it's like, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> um, Figure out you got you how to get Peacock, guys. Saved by the Bell is back in November. I know, right in time for Thanksgiving. Oh. Saved by the Bell, yep. which is so much better than you think it's going to be. Like it's so, so funny. funny. And also, Girls Five Eva will be back at some point. I'll pay for it, it when Girls Five Eva comes back. And also, AP Bio, they have a lot of good comedies. They do. Guys. They do. Um, every streaming service. For as much as, you know, I sneer at a lot of them, like they all have at least like one or two things that I'm like, yeah, but you should get it for that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am, I'm a simp. I'll get it. Um, to bring just it back go to together never with let me a go. bunch of your friends and share passwords. Yes. I mean, don't do that. No, never. No, we, we are not an advocate for um, uh, doing streaming services like everyone else does. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would never. You know, give yeah. it out to my mother and my friends. No, and my, never. You know, all of that. Never. Wait, never. so Chris, no, you, people, um, people I've never met in person certainly don't have mine. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> prank caller, prank caller. Who's this? Who said this? Chris, you uh, were. You that were that is the real world donations that we're doing. You know, instead of, you know, we, we are not harvesters of organs. We are just harvester of passwords. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> To bring it back and to the movie, watching though. content on them is going to make us live longer. It, it really <laughs> is a true. It, it really it dovetails. <laughs> or it'll at least make us survive, as the past year has shown. Yes. Um, Seriously. The music in the movie you mentioned. Yes. I kind of want to stump for the original song in this movie, because when I was, you know, uh, baby simp uh, Oscar watcher, I was like, well, maybe it'll get an original song nomination, because this song is really good. Who was it? Because I... Deadass paid for this song on iTunes because I Chris. really liked it when I saw the movie. It's very Dusty Springfield. Like, it feels like... It is. You know, it feels like it could be something that already exists in the world. And that's why I felt like it should have been recognized. I feel like in the oh my book... God, someone please create a drag queen named Judy Bridgewater who is just <laughs> the saddest. 
<laughs> was it, I, feel like uh, in I will the perform book... this song as Judy Bridgewater my first time in drag while I am <laughs> doing like gore drag and like pulling <laughs> organs out of my body and you know I could uh, be wrong passing but I feel them like... off to a Carrie Mulligan drag queen <laughs> I feel like in the book it was Dusty Springfield like it was like this like no fictional... I, I, I no way swear to no. god I thought I remember or at least like they in describing this other woman like maybe mentioned Dusty Springfield as sort of a I'm sure that's the inspiration but I don't think they said her name yeah um one kind of a bummer about all this not to tack on yet another one is that it was nominated one of the few places it was nominated for awards uh was the british independent film awards and it got beat by the king's speech in pretty much every category it was nominated in which uh i don't hate the king's speech but like the king's speech is not a better movie than this one and no um, but yeah, it won Best Picture over uh, Never Let Me Go, Best Director, Gareth. No, Gareth Edwards for Monsters beat out uh, uh, Mark Romanek for Never Let Me Go. That's an hmm. odd choice. Interesting. That's interesting. I don't hate that movie. Um, I like it. That's the first I've thing I ever it. saw uh, little Scoot McNary in. So that was fun. Oh, Scoot. We love surprise Scoot McNary. Speaking of people um, I had face blindness for for a while until... Uh, <laughs> Until Halt and Catch Fire, basically, is when I finally started remembering what Scoot uh, McNary Great like. show. Yes. Fantastic. Narcos Mexico, coming back soon for its final season. Oh, is he in that? Oh. Nice. Yep. Um, you mentioned the King's Speech. This is the King's Speech year. Can I mention one of my favorite, like, Oscar smear campaign attempts Go for of it. all time? Go for it. Is the, the King's Speech was filmed at the same place that some gay porn was filmed at. Oh, I forgot about this? that. Yes, I do remember that. And that was like one of the attempts to smear the King's Speech and people immediately were like, ha ha, who cares? Because but they like, were, the wall, you could recognize the wall as, as the same, I right? I remember that. that and you crazy. couldn't, so you, like, the King's Speech was just the thing that like you couldn't, like, talk shit against like i think some people yeah. tried to like drag it down again but like it it's one of the few front runners of the past like decade that didn't really have much of a smear campaign that really took effect there were like small things that like went against it but like well the King's when speech, that one happened it was just pure comedy the king's speech was weinstein right so it wasn't even like a typical yes. harvey weinstein dirty trick who did who was the social network studio uh that was sony yeah so maybe it was them because they were the the big uh uh, opponent there but i did want to say every the king's speech beat never let me go in pretty much every category but of course the king's speech does not have a lead actress so carrie mulligan was able to triumph in best actress at the british independent film awards which is good um it also got nominated for a bunch of saturn awards now chris and i have become radicalized about the saturn awards now that uh, uh what was oh even? i'm gonna google this really fast because i think a date was set for those Saturn Awards that are still awarding movies from, like, 2019. Right. Hold, please. Yes, Keep going. Wow. Because um, what was the movie that we were talking about that, that took us down that road, even? Lucy in the Sky. Right. Famous piece of science fiction. <laughs> Lucy in the Sky. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, Never Let Me Go, at least, is, like, uh, thematically... Uh, fits into saturn words and like good for it but like absolutely it was nominated for best science fiction film it lost to inception which fair um sure but the other nominees were iron man 2 tron legacy which i 
don't believe like mm. anybody likes Tron Legacy rules. I Tron like Legacy it too, but fun. I don't remember other people like uh, uh, being all that fond of it. Um, I never saw it. That movie is stupid. It's so fun. That movie is it. I do. It's on Disney Plus. Maybe we'll watch that too. It's gonna be a real shitty movie. <laughs> yeah, go <laughs> for it. Tonight. <laughs> also nominated was that movie Splice with uh, a oh yeah Canadian uh, treasure Sarah Polly and uh, mm-hmm. also Adrian Brody. That's the one where. Um, what if we had a mutant hybrid child that my boyfriend has sex with? <laughs> um, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we would have seen that one together, actually. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We were seeing a bunch of movies. That was when you were still living in New York City. So uh, we were seeing Yeah, a bunch yeah. Of well, I mean, when you talk about the social network, that was famously the topic of the very first Mark 1 Extra Hot Grade That's episode. right. God, that's right. Um, we both hated it. And then everyone else was like, <laughs> I know, no, it's good. And I know. Like, no. Ugh. And then also nominated like for Best Science Fiction Film is the Clint Eastwood movie Hereafter, which, is that science fiction? <laughs> Isn't it just about I a mean, flood? it's like metaphysical. <laughs> like Weird. Weird nominees, as yeah. always, with the Saturn Awards. Chris, do they have a date for, the, for their Important next? Important uh... update. It'll be the week <laughs> that this episode is airing. Uh, October 26th will finally be the 46th saturn awards where we are actively rooting for lucy in the sky to win in all categories (laughs) other nominees okay so tara to just throw you on these awards that have still not gone out i'm gonna read you the title of some of these nominees of course this is all because of the pandemic whatever yeah yeah yeah. joker not sci-fi well, they do like I guess that's in like a comic motion picture. They do like science mm-hmm. fiction, fantasy, horror, a lot of it. Joker, yeah. Ad Astra, no, Gemini I... Man, like, the, Lion were... Lion King, the Lion King, Maleficent Mistress like... of Evil. We yeah. are still awarding Maleficent Mistress of Evil for things. Jeez. Lion King feels like eight billion lifetimes ago when I saw that. Movie. Yeah, like it's crazy to think the that Lion that King is... caused COVID. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should also say that Andrew Garfield did win the Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actor for Never Let Me Go, uh, which is All good. Right. Beating out Christian Bale, who won the Oscar that year for The Fighter. Which again, I'm not sure which of the science fiction fantasy Wait. or whatever The what? Fighter fits in under. Yeah. Saturn Awards are wild, Tara. Like, it's a that's, wild ride. That's hard to defend. It's really hard to defend. <laughs> I would agree. Also, John Malkovich nominated for Red. I'm not sure where that fits in under that. It's either. an action movie. Um, yeah. I guess. Like, they're just like, it's... It's just it's just movies for dudes. <laughs> oh. The thing about the fighter, and they don't really say it on screen, but people who know, know, it's from the planet Boston. It doesn't actually <laughs> take place in Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> Well, and also, um, the cloning technology that was possible in Never Let Me Go is what gave you all of uh, Mark Wahlberg's sisters, all of the sisters in that movie, <laughs> which was uh, a benefit to us all. So good for that. You're um, one of them MTV girls. <laughs> I love that. I love that movie. Um, problematic fave. So many David O. Russell movies, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, was there anything else we wanted to bring up in, about this movie before we move on to other things? It made me sad. It made me it's yeah. Sad. It sad really movie. did. Um, also, oh, just and again, sad on sad, but like Ruth's death scene in this movie 
is so oh, devastating. Tough, oh, it's brutal. It's so brutal. It's so like ruthlessly efficient and coldly like uh like functionary. Oh my god. What it's... the hell do they take out of her? Like it's these giant organs. Do they take like both of her kidneys connected it looks to each like... other? And her liver also, it felt like that's what I thought. Yeah. It was liver and something else, I thought. But it was like it was literally just like one last haul and then just the absolute way that they like shut everything off and leave that body alone in the room. It's so that I feel like again, Mark Romanic, very good at striking an image like that is an incredibly striking image to see and like that's where he's incredibly talented and um that i thought was really really good yeah i mean good in that like it's awful <laughs> but yeah all right do we want to play the but yeah oh, make sorry. yourself some like nice hot apple cider and just settle in for real fun autumn feeling yeah but then like never throw a go. whole bunch of brandy in that apple cider or something just <laughs> do like you think that never let me go is a candle movie Wait, to find candle yes. movie. We've talked about candle movies. I know, before. but to find yeah. it again for the listeners. Just okay, so like a candle movie is like a movie that sends off a vibe that could easily be like a candle. Like yes, a fall movie, autumn movies autumnal. are like automatically yes. candle movies. Autumnal. Yes. Yes. This one smells like it smells like a slightly musty old house. <laughs> smells like where they were in the cottages. Yeah, where the, like the, you can smell the wallpaper glue because it's coming off. Seaside abandonment. <laughs> yeah. Right. Chips. Right. Uh huh. Off season. Uh, off season boardwalk amusement park kind of a vibe. Yes. Like that kind of a thing. Yes. Chips and depression. <laughs> Yes. yes, exactly. Yeah, this what this is the one that you burn when you've finished burning your Virgin Suicides late summer candle. Oh. Yeah, moss and mold. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, since the uh, apparent birthday party that's happening in the backyard uh, out there is becoming loud enough to probably get picked up on my mic, why don't we move on to the IMDb game and uh, and wrap things up, Chris? Why don't you? Remind our listeners what the IMDb game is. Uh, every week we end our episodes. We complete our <gasps> episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voiceover performances, or non-acting credits, we'll mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release use as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Uh, you only get three, maybe four hints until you complete, though. <laughs> it really depends. It depends on what uh, is being harvested from you. Fair, fair. Um, so, Tara, as our guest, would you like to give a clue first or receive a clue first? And also, who do you want to give your clue to? Thank you, Joe. As uh, people who have listened to us on a lot of podcasts know, I like to beat you at games. This is true. Even games where you can't really oh. win. <laughs> so I will give to to you. All right. I love and that. then Chris can avenge you by giving to me. <laughs> All right. So Tara will give to me. I will give to Chris. Chris will give to Tara. All right. Tara, why don't you then start this off? We'll see. We'll see how I can do. Well, I'm going with someone who has a lot of connections through past performances with uh, people in this movie. Okay. This actress has worked already with Carrie Mulligan multiple times, with Sally Hawkins multiple times, with Keira Knightley. She gets around. You already know who it is, Joe. It's Rosamund Pike. Oh, of course it is. Roz. We love Roz. Uh, what is the thing she's advertising now that is so psychotic? It's like, it's not Bitcoin, but it's Why like- Why is she in this show? No, it's like a, it's a, it's um, 
it's a like it's some sort of banking thing that she's advertising for, and now I can't remember. Oh, what it is. oh, oh I like heard about her. this, but I haven't yeah. seen. Oh it. my god! Well, no, she's doing some type of genre show that I'm like, Rosamund, oh. like you are too famous for this show. But she's doing these banking ads in like her like scary American accent. You know that like she's decided that like yeah. Americans all sound absolutely terrifying. That's how I'm going to do my American <laughs> accent, and it's like it's very strange. Sure, banks might offer you free coffee. But Marcus by Goldman Sachs offers personal loans with no fees. Um, Anyway, I'm stalling. All right. So obviously Gone Girl. Correct. All right. I don't. I don't want to guess I care a lot because it's probably too recent and it's also Netflix and Netflix doesn't show up a ton on these. Um. Oh, what's the Bond movie she's in that shows up on every... Uh, Die Another Day. Correct. All right, all right. Usually Die Another Day fools me, and I'm glad that this one, uh, this did not. Miranda um, Frost, and she looks like a Miranda Frost. She absolutely does. <laughs> um, all right, all right, all right. Rosamund Pike. Uh, I think you'll get... A... Sorry, Sorry I think you'll get one. I don't think you're going to get them all. Okay, <laughs> sounds good. Um... Is is she in it for Pride and Prejudice? Correct. That's your third. Okay. This is the one I think you're not going to get, but prove me wrong. <laughs> I I I almost yelled when I saw it. Yeah, I was really surprised. All right, what's an unlikely Ross Pike movie? Um, because she was one of those actresses who, before like she got like name famous, was like in a bunch of stuff. Um, oh, well. I loved her in an education, but I don't think that would be wild enough unless you're trying to mislead me, which I wouldn't put past you because you played a win. Um, <laughs> if anything, I know about our history of uh, competing in in games. Uh, you played a win. Um, oh, oh, shit. She's in one of the... Uh, the Jack Reachers. Which one is it? Is it the first Jack Reacher? I'm gonna yes, yes. Four for four. <laughs> you are the only person on this planet that knows that Roz Pike is in Jack Reacher. I saw Jack Reacher. That? I didn't remember she. Was I in only it. know it because it's such a weird credit for her. It's so like it sticks out in that way. Joe, well, that's why um, you just got a David perfect Fincher cast her is yeah. because all of her credits are weird. Yes. Yeah. Good job. I would have blown an incorrect answer on an education uh, if if I didn't think uh, if I wasn't going for Sorry. Weird. So no, listen, I'll take it. I'll take a perfect score wherever I can get it. Okay. Yep. Thank you, Tara. I I'm gonna give to now to Chris. So we mentioned the strange oddity that the same year that Carrie Mulligan made Never Let Me Go, she also made Wall Street Two: Money Never Sleeps, a movie that I watched <laughs> oh boy, and remember she did. really none of. So the star of that film is uh, one Mr. Michael Douglas. Chris, there is okay. one television entry for this, which is the Kaminsky Method. It is not one strike. What? Fuck. It is not. Doesn't he have like a globe for the Kaminsky method? I think he does. I don't know anyone who watches it. Clearly. Wait, is it mm, is it TV that uh perhaps otherwise in the world is a cinematic film? Yes. It's behind the candelabra. It's behind the candelabra. Yes. Perfect. Um Wall Street, his Oscar. Correct. 
Fatal Attraction. Correct. Mm-hmm. I mm, He's pretty prominent in Ant-Man, and they made a big deal about him. <clears throat> Am I going to go with MCU? There's also, like, Romancing the Stone, which I feel like has gotten a boost lately. Like, people watching it in quarantine and such. I also... <laughs> There's also his, like, uh, The Year of Traffic and Wonder Boys. I'm going to say Traffic. Incorrect. So that's your second strike. The biggest head on that poster. It's true. The thing about Michael Douglas is there's a lot of ways you could go. Like, there's a lot of avenues you yeah. could go down. He's done so, so many movies. It's so many movies. And one's, like, he's, like, the definite star, and they were, like, big. and Yeah, it's a lot. So your year for your missing movie, and I think this is what you'll get it pretty quickly once you get the year, is 1992. Oh, Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct, yes. Nice. Basic Instinct. Very good. That's yeah. weird. There's a, yeah, you could go a lot of ways with uh, Michael Douglas. I almost went with Romancing the Stone. Didn't even mention that he is Andrew Shepard and he is the president. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was think, trying yeah. to think of posters where his head is big and went straight to the game. <laughs> also that. His, yeah, big old head his on head that poster. His head has never been so big on a poster. Is that the one where like his head, there's like a puzzle piece yeah. like missing yes. from his head because it's a game? Yeah, That movie slaps. Good. It's a good movie. It's good one movie. Uh, Fincher, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. If that's <laughs> the weakest movie that you've ever made, which I think I that's know. Fincher's weakest movie, you, you his know, batting you average for yourself. His batting average is really You think high. that's weaker than Benjamin Button? Oh, I like Benjamin. Okay. I've never seen it. <laughs> My thing about Benjamin Button is everybody thinks it's a romance, but it's not. Mm-hmm. That's movie more a movie about like death than it is about a love story to me. Wait, right. Michael Douglas is in pre-production on a TV miniseries called Reagan and Gorbachev, where he's playing Ronald Reagan. Pass <laughs> the hardest sure. of passes. Wait, wait, wait! I want you guys to guess. Is without this like looking Jay this Roach? Up. I want you to guess without looking this up. The only cast members who have been announced are Reagan and Gorbachev. Um, yep. Who got cast as Mikhail Gorbachev? I have a guess. Who? I have a guess too. Wait, Tara first. Is it Brendan Gleeson? Chris. Is it Stellan Skarsgård? You're both wrong. It is Christoph Waltz. Ew. What? Ew. Ew. That's a is terrible no. match. He looks nothing like Gorbachev. It's <laughs> wild. We don't want Christoph Waltz in anything anymore. I have no idea who is, because I'm only looking at IMDb, so I, I have no idea if this is one of those things that just like is announced but is never going to actually make it to anywhere, but right. like be warned right. and be prepared. Michael Who's Douglas, like the credited showrunner on it, or the writer or director. Um, director James Foley. Ugh. Writing credits <gasps> Fears only. James Foley. Uh, there's this uh, B. Garita, who is the only other credited writer besides the author of the book that it's based on, and this person has no other writing credits, so it seems like maybe it's a fake name. I don't know. Um, Michael Douglas is producing, as is Christoph Waltz, as is James Foley. So, like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. This sounds like it's going to suck ass. Yeah. I'm excited to see where it happens, though. All right. Chris, why don't you get to Tara? All right. So I actually went into the field of Oscar nominees uh, this year. 
um, from this <laughs> ceremony. Uh, I chose it because I figured we would talk about Kira Knightley and Kira Knightley's history with Oscar. I went into supporting actress. I chose an actress who received her first Oscar nomination this year. Who else could I be talking about but one Miss Jackie Weaver? Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom, correct. Her first Oscar nomination. Um, Silver Linings Playbook. Correct. Her second Oscar nomination for making all of those Krabby Patties. Palms? No, not <laughs> What a <palms>. great guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I might be out of Jackie Weaver knowledge. Shit. Probably something Australian that I've never heard. Is she in, like, Strictly Ballroom or something like that? Uh, that won't count as an incorrect guess if she is not, but I'm going to guess that she's not. Yeah. Um, she is not. Hmm. Of the two, one of these movies I remember her being in, and one of these movies I definitely don't remember her being in. Okay, great. Um, yeah, sorry. I mean, I can... Them- I- I feel Sorry, like I'm trying to picture her and every scene I'm picturing her is it, just another scene from... Oh, wait. Was she in Joy? She was not in Joy. Okay. Well, give me my years. Okay. That won't help. Your years are 2013 and 2017. 2013 movie, I remember her being in. I'm pretty sure the the like marquee stars of this movie there are three of them they're all on the poster yeah. and then it's like those three stoker jackie weaver is next build oh i just said the you name. just said the movie i was like wait a second what you <laughs> is it stoker <laughs> she's <in> stoker <laughs> i wouldn't have gotten that anyway anyway so that's, that's fine. fine okay so the next one she's in is actually a surprisingly large ensemble with a lot of cameos okay she this is, um, she stars as somebody in a movie within a movie. Mm-hmm. The movie is about the making of a movie. Is this their finest? No, great call out though, because their finest is such a good movie. Yeah, their finest is fun. Their finest is a movie that you would be happy to revisit right now. This movie in question is one that you would probably not want to revisit because of the top line talent involved. We had talked about this a little mm-hmm. bit earlier in the episode about movies you don't want to revisit because certain people are involved in it. So this is a James Franco movie. Oh, this is the one about the room. Yes, I can't the remember. Disaster what it's called. artist. She plays the actress that played Claudette, the one who says that got the test results back. It's definitely breast cancer. Yeah. Oh, right. Now I remember. All right. Yeah. Uh, that was a very fun movie to watch. That now I can't ever go back and watch again. Unfortunately, Sharon Stone showing up in that movie was an event. I literally I hooted and hollered at that. Moment. <laughs> I was right next to you. You yeah. did indeed hoot and holler. <laughs> it was great. Oh my god, so good. Is that the first time one of us has accidentally given away the name? No, I did that one time. I'm pretty sure I did that one time. We would be here for another half an hour trying to get me to Stoker, so it's fine. (laughs) Well, well done anyway, Tara, on that. But that is our episode. Tara, thank you so much for joining us for this one. Thank you for coming back. Yes, Anytime. we'll have to have you on uh, more more uh, recently than the interval that we had between uh, Family Stone and this one. Well, so, I'm uh, saying it now. Next summer, Walk on the Moon with um, Diane oh, and Vigo, which oh, I've never yeah. seen. I'm still it's gonna. I'm gonna I have I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna save it. All right, save it for August. It's an August movie. It's an August movie. Okay, perfect, fantastic. Is it a candle movie? No, it's it's like it's it's at Woodstock. It's like high summer. 
Oh, okay. Love that. All right, listeners. That's the name of the candle of the movie, Woodstock Summer. <laughs> That's true. Maybe it smells like brown acid. Yeah. <laughs> brown oh. acid and linen. <laughs> listeners, if you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Tara, where would you like our listeners to check out more from you? Well, for more on me uh, about pop culture in a very autumnal mode, I will be recapping every episode of Succession Hell at Decider.com. Yeah. Hell yeah. And I'm also uh, talking about it every week on my podcast, The Sweet Smell of Succession, where I, which I co-host with David Chen of the Filmcast. Um, and you yeah. can find both those things and everything else I do at my Twitter, which is Tara Ariano, T-A-R-A-A-R-I-A-N-O. Sweet smell of succession, also a candle. I'm just going to say it right now. <laughs> <laughs> smells like that money smells and, and fear of uh, of your parents. Money, fear, and shiv spit. And park coke. <laughs> Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? You can find me modeling myself on trash on Twitter <laughs> and Letterboxd at Chris V. File. That is F-E-I-L. All right. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed spelled the same way. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So before you complete, please consider writing something nice about us. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. 